Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Tips with Salsa. I'm your host, Gerard Tonti, Creative Director with Salsa Labs. With us today is Emily Goodstein. She is the founder and CEO of Greater Good Strategy. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the do's and the don'ts of fundraising strategy, specifically when it comes to Giving Tuesday and Facebook fundraising. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I thought we'd start off by you maybe telling us a little bit about Greater Good Strategy and some of your background. Sure. So Greater Good is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps nonprofits thrive online. So we help organizations raise money online, grow their social media followings, grow their email followings. And at the end of the day, if it has to do with what an organization does online, it's probably something that relates to what Greater Good does. So we design websites and do um, rebranding, brand refreshes. We do content strategy. Um, We have a good time. We're a good team. Nice. And your background, have you always been in fundraising? Great question. So my background is originally in women's health policy and grassroots organizing. Um, And I also spent a little bit of time working in the interfaith community. So um, the work actually to do digital marketing and online fundraising feels like a very natural extension of that work since originally in my career, I was tasked with organizing large numbers of people from my desk in DC with a limited budget and a limited staff. Um, So it actually feels appropriate, although it might sound on the face like kind of a a disconnect. It it seems like a very natural extension of the original part of my work. And was there any, uh, going from a previous role like that to a new role in fundraising, was there any kind of hesitancy that you had? No, I mean, the truth is that organizing, grassroots organizing ends with an ask for someone often to show up somewhere or lend their name to something. And online fundraising has a lot to do with that, except for at the end, you ask someone to take their credit card out and give money. But you still need to motivate them to want to support your cause, whether they're giving of time or money or social media real estate, for example. Um, so it all feels very related. And um, at the the work I was doing as a grassroots organizer feeds very directly into the work as an online fundraiser because anything a nonprofit organization does, almost anything at the end of the day is a fundraising piece, in my opinion. So whether we're putting something out, showcasing an impact story and the, the thousands of people that showed up at a demonstration or the, the folks that we serve in a direct service capacity, um, those are things that will aid the organization in raising money anytime. Um, so I, I really try not to separate them because marketing and fundraising and organizing at the end of the day all kind of live under one happy nonprofit umbrella. So usually with our podcast guests, they tell us what they found to be effective and what they did right to reach their fundraising goals. I'd like to take this episode and maybe have you tell us what you feel you've gotten wrong with your fundraising in the past and what you've learned from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, I mean, when, so folks should, listeners should know that when we were preparing for this session, you know, we thought of a lot of best practices and it's end of year and what we want to talk about. And then I realized, well, you know, there's a handful of things that I thought I was right about for a long time. And I was preaching, you know, on my soapbox about, why we shouldn't use the Facebook fundraiser, for example, and how that was so detrimental to organizations' list growth. And at the end of the day, I realized I was totally wrong about that. As an example, we have a few more in store. But um, as an example, the the Facebook fundraiser is working for organizations. 
we have some clients that raise thousands of dollars on the Facebook fundraising tool. And originally I was really opposed to it because you don't get the email addresses. So Mark Zuckerberg kind of owns those donors for you and you just get these kind of one hit small increment incremental donations and you can't steward a relationship or properly thank the donor. And so I would tell people not to use the Facebook fundraiser and I would discourage people from using the birthday fundraising tool um, and really just try to link directly to your website and, and get people to go back to the website. Um, and it was kind of an uphill battle because the Facebook fundraiser seems to be popular. <laughs> people like giving money that way. Um, there's that kind of peer pressure approach that you see when so, so many of your friends have given to this fundraiser or, you know, so-and-so has almost reached their goal and people write these really beautiful, heartfelt messages. Um, and folks are on Facebook. People are looking on Facebook and, and seeing these fundraisers happen. So continuing to tell people that they shouldn't use that tool felt kind of like I was, um, it was fighting a losing battle. So I realized that I was wrong and, it turns out I could tell people that they shouldn't use it time and time again, and they were still going to use it. And then I kind of realized you can sort of hack the Facebook fundraiser. And so if my big problem with it was that you can't get the email addresses and it hurts from a list growth perspective, I, I figured out that you can actually go to the person that hosts the fundraiser and say to them, hey, you know, thanks for donating your birthday or thanks for hosting that Giving Tuesday fundraiser. We would love to thank everyone who made donations of your friends. Can you send us their email addresses? And then it's a perfect opportunity to not only thank folks that gave gifts, build your email list and build a relationship with your kind of super fundraiser who hosted the original Facebook fundraiser to begin with. Uh, so it's kind of a triple whammy. And I fully admit I was wrong about that for a lot of years. And I'm willing, I'm willing to admit that um, once I figured out a, a kind of workaround, I think there's actually a lot of good that can come with it. And I know there's also a fundraising feature on Instagram. Instagram stories allow people to fundraise. And it's the same, the same theory is true. If we go back to the original fundraiser after the fundraising campaign is over and make sure they know we really do want to thank all their friends that made gifts. Can you put us in touch with them? Um, it's kind of the next best thing to people actually giving their email addresses up front. Do you find that some nonprofits are a little bit hesitant to use Facebook? Yeah. I mean, I think people are, um, in general, Facebook is, is complicated, right? It's complicated to use, but also it's complicated politically. And, uh, from a social perspective, there's, there's good and bad that come with it. So it's, it's like Ticketmaster, right? It's the devil, you know? Um, and, I think in general, organizations have learned that they need to proceed with caution. And people also kind of hear horror stories or, or you know, or we heard a few months ago, right, Facebook is, was down and Instagram was down for a period of time. And all these organizations that depended heavily on these tools to reach their donors had no way to reach them because Mark Zuckerberg owns that contact. Um, but organizations that have invested heavily in an email marketing and fundraising program have that information. So there, it's it's tough to like. I think organizations are appropriately proceeding with caution, and they don't want to put all of their eggs in this social media fundraising basket. Um, sometimes people also think that's so annoying, or you know, I I hate when my friends do it, so I don't want to do it. I hear that a lot, um, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that somebody build an entire fundraising strategy specifically around Facebook fundraising. But I do want to openly admit that 
I have changed my tune. And if it feels like a good fit for an organization's constituency, or they have a lot of interest and enthusiasm from their volunteers, it's not the end of the world for someone to use that Facebook fundraising tool, as long as the organization properly does follow up. That's great. And great analogy with Ticketmaster. I really like that. Uh, <laughs> so what So what do you feel are the advantages of doing Facebook fundraising versus other fundraising? Oh, yeah. I want to also just clarify, I'm specifically talking about individual human beings on their personal pages posting the, the I'm raising money for so-and-so organization. Um, and I think that's really powerful because it allows people to communicate with other people in a place where they already are in a very authentic, unpolished way and often tell a very personal story about why they're fundraising for a particular organization. So I'm on the board of so-and-so organization. This is why. And today it's my birthday. And all I want to do is raise $5,000 for this cause. Help me do that. And it's, you know, you would have gone to that person's page anyway. You might have given them a gift anyway, which is not something that they maybe wanted. Um, I, again, love the fact that there's a peer pressure kind of bandwagon approach there. And we'll talk about this in our other example of why I was wrong about something in a second. But it's where people are, right? Like most people are on Facebook for some part of the day. I know that more and more people are leaving Facebook. And in recent years, Facebook had their first non-growth year. Um, so, so all of take all of these with a, all of these generalities with a grain of salt. But most of our most of our clients still have very large majorities of their donors spend some part of the day on Facebook. So encouraging people to give via Facebook and not have to take their credit card out because it's saved through the Facebook fundraising tool. Um, it, it kind of is like a maybe I won't say all boats rise, but most boats rise, um, which is helpful for nonprofits, right? They don't have to like invent the wheel or build a microsite. Right. I feel like that's Facebook at its best right there. You know, its ability to really showcase and tell stories and people connecting with those stories. Completely. And if you, I mean, I'm just thinking about um, my sister had an experience with a relatively rare medical condition and she joined a lot of Facebook groups and like private and public groups um, for other people that were dealing with the same condition. And then when she raises money for that cause, a lot of her friends on Facebook, she's met through that community. So it's just, it's like the perfect situation of people who are motivated by that cause, who have a personal relationship with my sister, who want to support finding a cure for this medical condition. I mean, what better scenario, as you said, it's Facebook and it's best. I also find, you know, the groups useful on Facebook and I'm sure there are groups that are formed or maybe just people joining groups because of fundraising? I think that there are probably people out there, I've seen a few cases of this, of people sharing, you know, I'm on the board of this organization, or this cause is particularly close to my heart, so I'm fundraising for it today. And folks will write in the comments, I didn't know you were dealing with that. My That runs in my family also. Or that's an issue that affects my community as well. Or I feel particularly strongly about that too. And then it's, you, you all of a sudden are not suffering alone. Um, I, I will say this is a little bit of a, a parallel, but the Facebook groups feature, I think is like the headline of Facebook at this point. So the, the, I recently became the chair of a board, an organization called Fat Torah, and I have never met the executive director in person. She lives halfway around the world. 
we know each other because of a Facebook group that was started by a friend for women, Jewish women in leadership positions. That would have never happened without the Facebook group. So with Giving Tuesday specifically, do you find that to be a stressful time for nonprofits? Uh, uh, yes, it is a stressful time. <laughs> it's like the Super Bowl Sunday, right? Um, and it it's on the heels of this holiday. So like we're out of the office and it's we're gearing up for end of year. And then it's also this, it's like a pre-end of year. It's There's a lot here and it's a super saturated time. Am I allowed to say that this is when I was another thing I was wrong oh, about? I'm absolutely. Come out absolutely. <laughs> I was also wrong about this in the category of things I was wrong about. So when Giving Tuesday first started to gain momentum, I was just such a naysayer and I was just going around telling people, well, it's a saturated market and it's not going to make or break your year. And, you know, it's only for social media. I, I just use, you, you name it. I was the person that was saying why it was a bad idea. Um, and then I pretty quickly changed my tune when I saw the numbers of dollars that were being raised on Giving Tuesday. And you got to follow the money, right? Or people are feeling philanthropic around the end of year fundraising season. And yes, it's stressful. And yes, it's high volume. And all the reasons why people don't want to fundraise around it are true. And well, let me take that back. I don't know if all the reasons are true. A lot of the reasons I've heard are true and also don't feel like full deal breakers. Because people are giving on that day. I mean, my husband said to me on Giving Tuesday this this past week, what organizations should I make sure to support today? He was he was hit over the head in his, on his inbox with organizations that were fundraising and was thinking about where he wanted to support philanthropically. Um, so whether or not it's a it's a busy time, I don't think that that rules out is being an important time. Um, so. I just was so fully wrong about this and I want to just own it. <laughs> um, and, and now we see organizations, I mean, there's a special, I have a special place in my heart for organizations that approach us in July and say, we're starting to think about our end of year plans. We would like to have everything set in October or early November so that we can then have everything worked out by the time giving Tuesday rolls around in late November, early December, and just have a very seamless end of year season. Um, and, and yes, it's crowded, right? My inbox is full. People are fundraising around this time. Um, and organizations are coming out saying we're not fundraising around Giving Tuesday. Don't give us money. Tell us a story about our impact. Or you may have noticed we didn't fundraise yesterday because we fundraise every day of the year because our mission is so important. It's not just episodic. You can't just support it in an episodic way. All that is all true. But I also think all of that comes from the fact that Giving Tuesday is a powerful holiday. And whether or not folks choose to participate, they need to have a strategy behind it. You could decide strategically that it's not right for your organization to participate, but you need to actually think, um, you need to really think about whether or not you, why that is and how you're going to make the most of it. Right. So learning from being wrong about Giving Tuesday in the past are there any are there any sort of general strategies uh, that you would that you find to work or not work for clients? Um, the first, really, this is a really complicated one. Participate. Um, so, the, and when I say participate, that doesn't mean a very aggressive fundraising strategy for everyone. For some clients, that is the right approach, and for other clients, um, for other clients, 
maybe that's not the right approach. Maybe they need something a little bit softer. Maybe they're not going to do an email fundraising strategy, but they're going to just do phones or just do text to give or just direct mail. Um, but I think thinking strategically about how you participate in Giving Tuesday is my first suggestion. And my second suggestion is not feeling like backed into a corner. So yes, it may appear that a lot of organizations send out several mail email pieces on that day or leading up to that day. That doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. So I, I like to encourage clients to turn Giving Tuesday on its head. Think really creatively about how you're going to make the most of this time. Um, and that could be just thanking your donors. That could be collecting stories that you then use to fundraise in, at, in December 31st or in grant proposals. Um, another thing I, I love to think about is extending Giving Tuesday beyond just the day. So there's nothing wrong with sending an email the week before that says, We're, our match started early. Give to us today. Oh, no, I've actually seen like, this past year people extending it the whole week. Yeah. Um, I mean, a few years ago, we started seeing organizations send notes out on Wednesday that say, you may have noticed you didn't hear from us yesterday. And that's because our work is important every day of the year. And we depend on your gifts every day of the year, not just one day a year. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways to turn it on its head. I saw a, a lot of corporate partnerships this year. Um, that it was great. It was a lot of, you know, Crate and Barrel, for example, a lot of for-profit companies taking up real estate in my inbox, telling me that they were partnering with a nonprofit. Um, and I think that's, that's sometimes a, a strategy that organizations don't consider, but for-profits want in on, they, they want to look good to their house file also. And if that means that they give a portion of proceeds from sales on a specific day or a specific week. Um, I think that's actually giving Tuesday is a great excuse to open up that conversation around corporate partnerships. Um, the other thing I would say is sometimes organizations rightly so want to lock their strategy in and then like set it and forget it for giving Tuesday because often it's, I mean, it is always right after Thanksgiving. And so people, it's a busy day and there's a lot going on. I really like a more dynamic approach where you look at how things are are performing early, and then you make a game time decision. Are you going to do a resend to everyone who clicked but didn't give? Are you going to do a thank you note with a special forward to a friend ask to everyone who did give at 5 p.m.? How can you use the data that you gather in the first part of the day to inform what you're going to do in the second part of the day? And how can you make the most of the work you've already done? So if you already wrote the email, why not do a fake forward to your list and say, we're halfway to our goal. You already wrote the email. All you have to do is copy it and change the header text. The best, my best suggestion though, this is like the really juicy part, is to spend the first 10 months of the year testing to see what will resonate with your list so that by the time you're planning for Giving Tuesday, there's no question about how different strategies and tactics will perform because you have tested them from January to October. And then November and December, all you're doing is implementing the results of the tests. And do you find it useful to not only compare things with the past six months, but also go back to the previous year and compare what was successful last year to what was successful this year? Sure. I mean, the, the last few years have been a bit unique because of this very uh, interesting pandemic that we're living in. Um, and so the first Giving Tuesday that overlapped with COVID 
we saw a lot of organizations asking, is it appropriate for us to participate if we're not on the front lines? We also saw a Giving Tuesday Now that was sponsored by the same Giving Tuesday program that took place right around a few months after COVID started. Um, so people were very f- wanting to be support- financially supportive in 2020, right? It was a very unique fundraising year, especially for online giving. Um, so looking back at what happened last year may not effectively inform what happened this year or it may. Um, but I really like to look at, did your list respond well to emojis in the subject line? Does your list like high volume masks? Did your list perform very well when you had celebrities? Did your list love your Instagram live? Um, you know, should you redo that telecon thing you did in March in November? I don't know. But if it performed well earlier in the year, it's probably worth redoing at the end of the year. With both Giving Tuesday and Facebook fundraising, do you feel like there's an importance or a stress on being unique? There is pressure to be unique when it comes to fundraising because we want to stand out, right? My inbox is so full of all these emails. I want to stand out. My Facebook feed, Instagram feed is just chock full of people asking for money. At the end of the day, those of us that do this work are paying attention, right? So I'm on hundreds of nonprofit organizational email lists. And I'm reading almost every email they send out because this is the work that I do. I write fundraising emails and strategy. Um, Most people are not. Most people are like getting through the day, they're driving carpool, they're going to their jobs, they're doing the dishes. And if they happen to read a handful of nonprofit fundraising emails, that's a lot for them. So I want to just make the point that it's hard when we're in it. Like when we are the fundraisers, when we are the the users of the technology and the people that are looking at the data, it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of the of the generic donor who's probably not paying as close attention as we are. And so there's nothing to, nothing wrong with running a basic campaign that includes a handful of emails and a handful of social posts. Like at the end of the day, that's better than not having a strategy at all. Um, All of that's to say, yes, I love the super creative campaigns. One of the things I love the most is not asking for money on Giving Tuesday and just thanking donors and talking about impact. Um, I also really do love the like telethon style. I had one client that had five different physical locations. And on Giving Tuesday, they stationed people on all five of the locations and they went live different parts during different times of the day. And showcase, like, here are the classes we offer here, and here are the teachers that are here, and here are the parents that are here. And, oh, thanks, you know, we just got a, we just got a gift from Stuart in, you know, in Northwest. And Rachel just made a gift from Maryland. And it really felt like the organization's community was together live in person on this day that often feels kind of like just a barrage of emails. It felt real and personal um, and creative and different. And, it, you know, you couldn't help but like see if they gave your donation a shout out. So Emily, that was, that was two times, uh, that you were wrong. I, I know, I know there, I know there is a third in there. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask my husband, there's actually a thousand times I've been wrong. Okay. So the third time that I was wrong was when I was starting Greater Good Strategy. And I remember sitting with a friend, we were in a park and I was saying, you know, I'm thinking about turning my independent consulting practice into an agency and I have all these consultants signed up. And, but I'm not really sure because it feels like a crowded space. Maybe I shouldn't, there's a lot of people who do that work. Maybe it's not for me. And I really thought for, 
a few months I was sort of like stuck in this place of, I don't want to start a business that just everyone else is doing. I need to be different. Maybe that's because I'm a millennial. And I, I really, um, I struggled with how to make my business different. And at the end of the day, I think one, there's enough, like the pie is huge. There's enough work that needs to be done. I don't like the scarcity model just because other people are in this space doesn't mean I can't be also. And two, what makes us unique is that we do good work and we care about the causes we work on and we're nice people and um, we're, I think we're easy to work with and we're fun and we don't take ourselves too seriously and we really care about the causes that we choose to partner with. Um, and, and there's a lot of agencies that can probably say those things, but I definitely learned that sometimes the answer is not being unique, it's just being good. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really good chatting with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was really such a special treat. That wraps up another edition of Tips with Salsa. If you'd like to learn more about Greater Good Strategy, sign up for their email list at greatergoodstrategy.com. And as always, if you'd like to hear more Tips with Salsa episodes, you can find us at salsalabs.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.